Welcome to the SAF podcast from SAF Investor. In this episode, we're delighted to have Sylvain Verdier, Senior Business Manager for Strategy and Innovation at Topso. Sylvain's an expert on all aspects of the industry, including the technical things that I don't understand. In this one, we look at Lego bricks, getting approval, and what he thinks is going to have to happen for SAF to hit 2050 targets. And we hope you enjoy it. Today, we're absolutely delighted to have a rock star at the SAF world, well known for his own podcast, Sylvain Verdier. Sylvain, do you want to tell everyone about your podcast quickly? Uh, yeah, sure. Thank you. But it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much, Alistair, for inviting me. So our podcast is called Fuel for Thought, and it's really about, uh, yeah, hopefully educating people, sharing knowledge. It's really about knowledge sharing, about the energy transition, focusing on fuels. So we are preparing now season five. And uh, yeah, it's really knowledge sharing. We don't do any yeah, product placement or anything. I'm not even sure we mentioned the name of our company in it. It's really just knowledge and educating people. I think it's very, yeah, the philosophy of our company, like uh, Haldo, the founder of the company, used to say from science to dollar. And I think it's really, I think for me, it's more knowledge to, yeah, I don't know reality so you share knowledge you educate people and then hopefully things will happen so it's a tiny contribution and, and your background's interesting because you're you know you're a hardcore chemical engineer you've you've been researching catalysts for many years yes. before you moved into your current role mm -hmm. correct so um yes i'm trained as a chemical engineer and i did a phd on a fossil oil on asphaltine actually so the heavy part of oil and then slowly moved towards uh, yeah more because the industry, like based in Scandinavia, is actually a chance for us because you had companies like, I don't know, UPM in Finland, Prim in Sweden, refineries that started working, building bio refineries with very exotic feedstock from a pulp production. So, and then we started producing this, and then we had to develop catalyst technologies, and then slowly entering the world of uh, renewables. And then I moved towards yeah, more commercial strategic roles, and the podcast just happened. So, and other things. So, how, how did you end up in? SAF because you could have stayed in renewable diesel or you could have gone to fertilizers. You know, why do you think you ended up here? Well, I think SAF is what's happening. It's not only me, it's all of us. That's why we're here today because of regulations. So we know all about Corsia, an old project, initiative from ICAO, blah, blah, blah. Yet how much SAF is produced now? 0.1% of the amount of jet fuel produced in the world. But regulation is happening now. Refuel Aviation, Inflation Reduction Act, and so forth in the UK, also the Jet Zero strategy. So the industry is moving full speed towards uh, SAF. And then, uh, you know, you have seven, you, you know, about SAF. So SAF can be seven things plus two. And then uh, renewable diesel, if you just cut a bit more the molecule, you can make HEFA, one of the SAF types. So renewable diesel and SAF are somehow connected. It's the same feedstocks and you make somehow same molecules-ish. And do you want to explain, Topso is a fascinating company. Do you want to explain what it does? Yes, I'm uh, also agree. So I've been working here for 17 years. Uh, Topso is a family-owned company, and then a few years back they sold 30% uh, to Temasek, which is a Singapore investment fund and really great company. I have to say, like a lot about sustainability, 2050 targets. So it's really about uh, long-term vision. So we are catalyst and technology company. So we don't produce fuels yet. Uh, we had a, now we're recording this in July, in June, 29th of June, 23, and we announced uh, yeah, a joint venture with Sassol that will possibly be coming 
soft producers, which is really new for us. So many of our process engineers are very happy. It's like, yes, we produce fuels. But uh, yes, so back to top. So, so it started in 1940. Haldor, uh, yes, stayed in Denmark when the war started. And his wife told him, you need to make a company where people sh should be happy. And that makes a difference. And he always said, yeah, corporate world has no purpose unless it helps humanity. And so he started with, okay, we need to feed people. We need fertilizers. We need ammonia. Let's develop ammonia catalyst. Then we need hydrogen. We need methanol. We need clean fuels. So basically, he based, yeah, he created some, uh, yeah, we started developing catalyst and process. And then he said, oh, maybe fuel cells will be something. So in the 80s, we started with fuel cells. And now we have uh, SOEC. So basically, a fuel cell used an electrolyzer. So he was a smart man. <laughs> And uh, yes, so now we are 2,500 people. We produce catalyst technology. And the last couple of years, we really uh, yeah, had a change of uh, paradigm, like the industry, everybody in the industry. Like it's really about decarbonizing and what can we do to help? So we are lucky to have yeah, expertise in hydrogen, ammonia, methanol fuels, which is some of the basics. Uh, we're in Denmark. We're based in Denmark. And Lego is a Danish uh, thing, actually. So it's like all these Lego bricks we have that can be moved and developed, of course. And then we're adding Power2x, which is one of the new Lego bricks we're developing. Which is really interesting, because uh, he was a hardcore scientist as well, wasn't he? he was yes, in the yes. Nils he studied with uh, Niels Bohr and so forth, and really a smart, very smart man. Um, when you, but I think what's interesting about you is you're, if anyone ever goes to um, like a renewable diesel or a SAF plant, the catalysts are the, the most secret thing almost, aren't they? No one like, mm -hmm. they, they won't talk, you know, if you go to visit Nesto, they don't tell you what's in the catalyst. I'll show no, you no, a few jars. Not. Yeah, yeah. Um, All right. <laughs> <laughs> but you guys also aren't um, limited to one feedstock, are you? You're, you're almost completely agnostic. Yeah, we developed so far renewable diesel and uh, SAF, so HEFA. Yes, we are working on uh, yes many feedstocks. So we started, as mentioned, with uh, the Nordic countries. So it was crutal oil, which is already used from uh, yeah, pulp production. So very exotic feedstocks. Then we moved to more vegetable oils, then use cooking oil, animal fat. And we're working a lot also on pyrolysis oil. So there's no commercial units, but uh, also plastic, upgrading of plastic pyrolysis oil. I think we have our first startup yeah, Q3, 23. So a lot of yeah, uh, exotic feedstocks. And we're also working on e-fuels. So CO2, green hydrogen, poop, poop, poop. And then you can make FT, so ESAF, power to jet. So here, uh, yeah, we're looking at the whole range of feedstocks because we will need all feedstocks. You know yourself, like in every part of the world, you have different feedstocks, different mandates. The UK is going for municipal solid waste. I think that's what the mandate they will go for, so meaning gasification cleaning of the yeah, same gas. Then you make fissure traps, hydrocracking, and you have your SAF. But other countries like the Nordics, they could have a lot of forestry residue. So here maybe pyrolysis or hydrothermal liquefaction. Or it could be, I don't know, a country like Chile, a lot of sun. Uh, so they do more e-jet, power to jet. So you need all solutions to be able to address. Because the feedstock, for me, the two main bottlenecks for deployment of renewable fuels, it's regulations and feedstock. Technology is there. So it's really the two main bottlenecks. So, so which feedstock do you have? And of course, let's not forget the price. But uh, if we forget the economics from a technical perspective, it's really feedstock and regulations. And once it's in place, you can uh, go for it. We have the Lego bricks. And do you, do you feel that the... Um, we've seen a lot of regulatory change. Do you feel that the environment's fundamentally changed or is there still a long way to go? What's that for the regulations, if it's yeah. still changing? It's 
change each time I'm updating presentation and regulations. I'm like, colleagues are using presentation that at one month. So I was like, no, wait, it changed again. So I was in a conference in Athens a few weeks ago. Uh, it was for process engineers from refineries. And I was, it was interesting to see the, yeah, it's not how little they know, but it's so far from the world. And I understand why, because it keeps changing all the time. And they are still more like, okay, more edible oil, use cooking oil, animal fat, and we're talking power to jet and all the regulation in EU for additionality, geographical correlation. For It's so tricky. Even I spend a lot of time on this. I find it, not one person can do that alone. You need a whole team of people in a network and educate, share knowledge. And it's like, oh, how do you understand? Even the commission in at Brussels doesn't know sometimes. They make a directive and they expect certification scheme like ICCRSB to make interpretations. They're like, yeah, that's what we meant. So it's in the UK now it's being developed also. I think the second consultation closed some weeks back. Uh, in the US, so you have the Inflation Reduction Act and now some, uh, I think, a yeah, member of the, yeah, I don't know which houses, but they said, oh, which greenhouse gas methodology should we use? Is it Corsia? Is it green? It's so nerdy, but it's a showstopper on that for the project. So the devil height in the details. So it's really important. Yeah. And, and do your customers just find it frustrating? Because you, EU refuelers, we still haven't yes. quite got the final one. No. We've been waiting think, for a long time. And I think that's why we see... Um, like in the US, I think it has been clear incentives. The main problem I see is that it's a short, like Europe is going 2050. US, shorter term, I think the production tax credits stop in 27 for South. So what happens after that? It's quite, uh, hopefully it will continue. But then you can make investments, you get a lot of incentives. It's pretty clear, simple in an Excel spreadsheet, you can do your business case in a few lines. Ish. In EU, uh, it's not in place. That's why we don't see many investments. There's not so many grassroots plants or revamp. So what people are doing is co-processing. It's allowed up to 5%. And here we're doing a lot of uh, work and studies on this because it's low capex. You just change the catalyst, maybe a bit of revamp, but it's not a big investment. So I think that's why people are, okay, what are the rules? Are we sure can we invest 1 billion euro to build a plant if the rules are changing? Does the feedstock I have, is it still sustainable in five years? Or not uh, okay can i really use this or will it change again and it's um yeah but i often say i'm glad i'm not a regulator it's so complicated you want to do something good but then you have the reality and it's uh yeah it's almost philosophical choices for society so it's it's not simple yeah, and, and also it's one of the things where you can easily make a if you leave a loophole or make a mistake it can be you know almost disastrous as well from a regulation point of view. exactly also in the us i heard stories that uh, to get the rain credits or LCFS credits, you need to have your bookkeeping properly well done. Otherwise, you might not get the credits. So it's really important to to understand and talk to the right people. Also, how to do greenhouse gas calculations. It's, yeah, all of this. Fuels are entering the regulated era, which is new for refiners. You had specifications, of course, environmental things, but now it's really heavily regulated and it's a whole change of paradigm. I think for the industry. So now we're, when we do seminars, a presentation on uh, regulations, I think we call it yeah, chapter two, the regulated era. It's that's really what's happening now. I feel. And you're going. You must be contacted all the time by people who are going. You know, I'm thinking of doing a SAF plant. Can we talk to you about technology? Mm -hmm. Yes. Do you do you see a wave coming? If you refills, you know, is this? Have we seen nothing yet? So are there lots of people reaching out to you now? Yeah, yeah, it's and for all sort of so for bio 
to jet, so biomass, uh, also for uh, yeah, power to jet. We have not seen so much on recycled carbon fuel. So it's EU, it's allowed, uh, for example. So it's, you take, I don't know, plastic waste. It's not it's not approved, of course, by uh, STM yet, but it's we don't see so many of those yet. But yes, it's happening, and it started with EU and uh, US, of course. But we have been talking to a lot of people in Asia, Latin America, and is a domestic use, but mostly also to export to uh, EU. Export to US is a bit challenging because with a production tax credit from the Inflation Reduction Act, you have you need domestic productions to get this credit. So you could still get green credits, LCFS, but you could miss $1.75 per gallon. So, so anyway, no, it's global. And uh, I talk to people who, see, uh, who are doing more preliminary work, more with governments, and they say, oh, I see things in, I don't know, different. It's, it's getting global. So we see many countries also say, okay, like Australia said, we want to be, I don't know, uh, a hub for production of fuels. Uh, then Middle East is also, they have a lot of sand, they have water, or on the sea, you can disalign it. So it's a lot of, um, it's global phenomenon. The, um, going back to um, your joint venture with Sassel, Mm-hmm. How do your customers feel about you becoming a producer? So far, so good. I've not heard anything <laughs> bad at all. We would need a lot of SAF uh, production. I don't know if you, I don't know if you know Sky Energy. It's these Dutch companies are SAF. Uh, yeah, they will become SAF producers hopefully. And then they issued their market outlook not too long ago, maybe a month ago, and they said that in EU, just for EU per se, in twenty until twenty fifty, we need 150, 150 SAF plants, just for EU. So I think there's no competition in terms of, we will need a lot of stuff. So maybe, what is it, 200 million, 400 million ton in 2050? There's room for everybody to produce stuff. So, Although when you say you, you think the two building blocks are regulations and feedstock, I thought in the Sky Energy report was the, the third building block, and I'm probably biased here, is how much money is needed. That's your field. That's not my <laughs> field. I'm a technical guy. So, But yes, I agree. Funding is critical what we see now is that it's mostly the big majors who have money who can invest who has made final investment decisions for small project developers it's we're waiting to see uh, but it's it will happen hopefully but uh yeah, do you have the feedstock supply agreement for 10 years do you have offtake agreements for many airlines are doing offtake agreement for a couple of years maybe you need 10 years 15 years i don't know what you see from your side but it's uh yeah I think the financing is a, it's possible, but yeah. But again, it's not my world. It's more your world. So I don't know if you have any insight to share about this. No, no, you're, you're, you're the expert. And the other, <laughs> going, going on to your other thing about regulation, um, and the, the new, I really like the new age of regulation. Is um, ATSM uh, ready for this? Because I talk to people who are producing SAF and they complain that, off record, obviously, they complain that it's you know it's very easy for anyone to veto. It's a very slow process. Do you see any changes there? STM, yes. So the STM process, I don't know if the listeners know about that, but uh, STM is basically uh, I don't know Euro Five Diesel has STM specifications. Uh, the jet fuel we use now it's so STM D sixteen fifty five. You open, you said okay, what is the freezing point? What is the aromatic content? Nitrogen, sulfur, and so forth. So it's more technical specifications. And here since, I think, 2009, uh, they started with uh, synthetic, it's hard to say for a Frenchman, synthetic, synthetic, I cannot say it, synthetic paraffin kerosene, SPK. 
and then it started with uh, FT annexed uh, one, boop, 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 annexed two HEFA and so forth. So now you have seven annexes and many more are being added. I think it's going really quick, I have to say. Like it's, when I compare to shipping, which is very conservative world, I think the aviation is extremely progressive and very, uh, yes, going forward. And STM, the main purpose is safety. And I think we are all happy about that. So we don't want planes to crash. And I've not heard many. We have actually two colleagues who are part of different STM committees. And now I think in Denver, there's a meeting. Uh, I got emails this morning. So it's really good discussion. It's true. There's a better right. But it's uh, it's a lot about networking. But I think it's for the best. People have the greatest interest in sight. So I'm not so worried. I think it's very progressive. And it's once you're in there, there's a lot of information shared. It's uh, I'm happily impressed by uh, the different STM committees. You have one working on 100% SAF, some are working on changing maybe aromatic specs of HEFA, some increasing the, how much coprocessing can do. So it's very dynamic, quick, compared to other, yeah, for the refinery and fuel producer segment, it's pretty quick. That's how I see it. And I guess the big question is the economics of SAF. Airlines you know, try and save money wherever they can. Yes. Are they going to be happy paying more? It depends on the... Okay, EU. So let's say HEFA. So from uh, use cooking oil and malfat. Uh, in Europe, you cannot use edible oils to make uh, aviation fuels. So you have to use Annex 9 feedstocks. And then maybe it's twice the price. I don't know. Give. It depends on price of feedstock, hydrogen, so forth. So let's say five. And then maybe uh, E-Jet, power to jet, four or five times, depending on price of electricity and so forth. And the capex, of course, uh, investment. So, who will pay? In Europe, it's very clear. I fly, I pay, because it's a uh, it's an obligation from fuel suppliers and from airlines to use sustainable aviation fuel. So, we start with two percent twenty five, and we end up with seventy percent seven zero in twenty fifty. And extremely high penalties could be twice the amount of the price difference between SAF and fossil jet that you pay, plus you have to use SAF next year. I think you have a lot of obligated parties, so it's really penalties that are high. So it will happen. You and I will pay if we fly. The UK, I'm not sure which approach they would choose, but I think it will be a mix of EU, US. So you'll be a bit of incentives, but also obligations and penalties. I didn't follow that up. And the US, it's uh, supply driven. Yes, we give you money to produce, but I'm a bit, not concerned. I'm curious to see how, because they, they have aspirational goals of 3 billion gallons 2030, and was it fifth? I can't recall how many billion gallons in, but it's about 200, 300 million. No, it's less, 100 million tons. I don't want to say anything wrong, but in 2050, very high ambitions. I should know that. But again, it's no mandate to use that fuel. So that fuel will be there. And unless you have enough tech agreement, who will use that and who will pay? And uh, yeah, let's see. But uh, it will be more expensive to fly. And I think it's rightful because it's emitting CO2 and it's our responsibility to pay more and to fly less. But uh, it's just, I speak on my behalf. No, it's good. Yes. I, I like, I, I, and, and I guess the other argument that I hear from um, some environmental groups is that the energy needs for SAF, you know, particularly power to liquid are so high that you shouldn't be wasting that energy on flying. I think they are, they are doing what NGO should do, which is advocating for what they believe in. And then uh, 
yes, it's 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 very fair discussion. And who should pay? Like, how many billions will be needed to decarbonize aviation? And should that money be used somewhere else? And hates a society choice, and hates politics, politicians who decide. So I've heard once, okay, people who I fly more than five times a year. Maybe you do. A lot more, yeah. It's one percent of the world population who flies more than five times a year. So we're going to invest billions to decarbonize aviation for the happy one percent. Where is that money coming from? So it's uh, and it is it taxpayers' money? Is it fair? Or is it me as a flyer who should pay? If I can afford to fly five times, maybe I should pay for that. So it's it's not simple, but also shipping has to decarbonize. And here, what is it? Ninety percent of the goods in the world are transported by ship. So is it fairer? What is a just and a fair? transition who will pay who will suffer we know it's people who have in needs who will suffer more so how to use the money and it's political decision so yes i have my opinion possibly you too our listeners as well so it's uh it's very interesting and good discussion i think ngos are right to question and asking this and then politicians should answer that was a really good political answer i don't know see i'm ready vote for me <laughs> no, but it's, it's uh it's, and I have a European tunnel vision. I live in uh, yeah, Denmark, which is a wealthy country. What do I know about people living in other parts of the world? So it's, I only see part of the picture. Well, I guess the other argument is that um, if we have a thousand SAF plants around the world, all using Topso technology catalysts, um, you... You know, that's also there's amazing opportunities for countries to start producing, um, you know, jobs and high skilled jobs Mm -hmm. and and labor. So, you know, which and it is going to have to be a global solution, isn't it? Like we always talk about the US and the EU. It is Um, global. And yes, right. So and if you it's a lot of like you talk about domestic jobs and here, if you look at the Inflation Reduction Act, the way I look at it, okay, it's wrapped in climate change. But I think for me, the back like. The core is really about creating domestic jobs in the US. So it's really what they want and using energy transition to uh, create domestic jobs. And I think it's, uh, yeah, it's, I think in Europe, they're also trying to do this. So, and it's other countries, like we talk about Latin America, Asia is also trying to do this using the resources they have. So hopefully this will happen. Are you confident that the um, EU targets will be met? I hope they will be met. So I think it's possible, but it's uh, again, it's a cho- choice of a society. Like, and the penalties will be high if it not happens, and it's good to set the bar high. So NGOs are saying it's not enough. Industry is saying it's way too ambitious. But yeah, some people, I've heard a lot this analogy to yeah, but going to the moon, it was not possible in the sixties, but yet it happened. So maybe setting the bar high can inspire, and it will. Uh, so it's. Technically, it's possible. It's more who will pay and how long. I think 2030, 2040, I think 2050, we can reach it. It's more the transition. I don't know if you remember, like the power to jet mandate in EU are quite drastic and increasing. So we need a lot of renewable power. We need uh, electrolyzer to be deployed at large scale. And the cost of this is very high. So if there was more uh, use cooking on animal fat, waste oil and fat, you could produce a lot of heifer. But what is it? In the, some people say 40 million tons of waste oil and fat in the world. Maybe you could make, I don't know, 30 million tons of SAF. It's something, but, and this is used for something else. So it's a whole displacement thing about sustainability yeah. and LCA. Okay, when you do something, you do it. And yeah, 
So I hope it can be met, and I think some of it will be met, but the beginning might not meet the targets, but it's, I like the ambition. And e-fuels, mm -hmm. when do you think we'll start seeing significant amounts of e-fuel production? I think post-2030, so, and some people believe, politicians, that yeah, green hydrogen is a solution to everything, and uh, it's part of the solution, but we need everything. I know waste biomass is key. Uh, we need to use all resources we have and do proper LCA, and, but yeah, it's, they will play a part, but for me, post-2030. You will need, I don't know if you know the criteria for e-fuels in Europe, but you have, okay, first you need CO2, that can only be, it's better biogenic and then direct air capture. And post-2040, no uh, fossil CO2, even from hard to abate sectors. So where would you get the CO2? Number one. And then the criteria for electricity are very strict. Additionality, I cannot displace. I cannot take renewable power. That's used unless it's, it's a very long, it's a lot of criteria, but we can be simplistic maybe. Then it has to be in my country. And then I need to every hour or every 15 minutes or every often so often report that if I have so much renewable power, I'm making so much stuff. So, or green hydrogen or the like. So criteria very strict for the best, but they might limit deployment of uh, the fast deployment, I think, of power to X in Europe. Right now, only Europe has rules about uh, renewable power and then uh, CO2. So let's see what other countries uh, decide but uh, the price would be a short, like if it costs five times more, unless you have a mandate, who will use that? So, and and do you agree with the rule on waste capture? Because to me, whacking a you know pipe up next to a steel factory seems like common sense. Yeah, but if you look, just uh, you will emit new fossil CO two in the air. So if you are just thinking of CO two ppm, how many ppm CO two you have in atmosphere, you don't want more fossil CO two in the air. So that's of course, but from uh, how much we have a lot of CO2 out there, that's, yeah, for sale. So, again, I don't know. It's uh, it's complex, but it's the same with uh, edible oils. Should we use all edible oils to make fuels? Is it fair or not fair? It's all because you are helping farmers and agriculture, but then people, many people are, like the amount of people who are, yeah, don't eat enough is increasing globally. So, what is fair, not fair. And here it's, uh, yeah, it's not black and white, I'm afraid. So I think from an industrial perspective, of course you want the CO2 that's accessible right now. So if there's a pipe next to you with a point source, you want to use that CO2. But it's possible until 2040, at least. So in do Europe, you, let's see what's happening after in other parts of the world as well. Do you ever wish you'd stayed in chemical engineering where it is sort of black and white? <laughs> no, but it's very, I like complexity. So my happy uh, spot is three things so it's people complexity and then uh, knowledge sharing and i think here it's really the three at the same time i love the complexity i think it's really yes you need to see all like actually you add to technology you you need regulations you need uh, funding taxes investments you need still to look at the fit talk so it's really and i only see a narrow part of the thing so i love the learning part and the, the complexity and yeah, often I say it depends. I don't know. It's it's not simple. So maybe a political answer, as you said. I don't know. And I, I personally like it when it's simple. And I think when you, you suddenly go, wow, this is amazing. And then you dig into it and you go, oh, hang on. 
so should that fat be going into pet food or should it be? Yeah, yeah. It just it just keeps going and it's always so complicated. Mm-hmm. And um, are you um, are you optimistic about um, the building blocks? Do you feel that it's getting easier? A technology? Still- yes, I'm not worried about technology. So I think it's not the thing customers should worry about. Oh, it's now I think for Power2x, it's more like blocks do exist. So SOEC alkaline is commercial. Is happening SOEC maybe in a couple of years? Like ourselves, we have a factory ready, I think 25. That's the idea, if I remember correctly. We should produce a SOEC, it will deploy. Then, uh, Syngas, it's known, Fisher Trap, it's known, how the cracking is known. It's more the connecting of the blocks. And then, how do you deal with a variation of uh, renewable power? It's more that how to have a dynamic operation unless you can plug directly from the grid. And it's possible in some countries in the EU if you follow the rules. If you have more than 90% share of renewable power in your grid, you can just plug on the grid and that's it. So here, that's where we'll be, I think, which is the first uh, Power2x project in Europe. And that's important because a lot of renewable power isn't reliable. Yeah, it's dynamic. So uh, it's all the... Yeah, but many people are working on that also. How do you store energy and so forth? So it's uh, yeah, it's not my expertise. Electricity is so complex and I really have barely scratched the surface. I have colleagues who know much more about that but uh yes so if you were if an investor calls you up mm-hmm. and goes i want to get involved in south where would you tell them to look i i don't know i said first you ask okay we have this slide talking about okay which feedstock are you considering or what kind of south do you want to make is it power to jet how much risk you have HEFA is a TRL9, it's happening, it's produced. Where do you want to invest? So do you want low risk, high risk? I guess as an investor, you want low risk. I said, okay, fine, but you have your feedstock. Have you talked to airlines? So then you need to look, okay, which market, which country, um, and so forth. How, for how long do you want to invest? When do you want? Yes, it's quite a complex things, but yeah, you go through the different blocks of the thing that you need for the, to produce SAF then hopefully we'll guide them. And then we talk to a lot of people as well. So depending where they are, could be Latin America, could be EU, US, Asia. So depending on where they want to invest, we can hopefully pinpoint the right uh, project. Which do you think, um, you know, which regions do you think people should be looking at? Where, where, where do you think people are going to see a lot of activity next year or the year after? Uh, yeah, US, EU, of course. Yeah. And then, but for export to EU, we see a lot of projects uh, like yeah, Latin America, Asia, Middle East. I've not seen so many projects, a lot of discussions, but I think it's more early stage to my knowledge. I'm not involved in all discussions, of course. And are there, are there any countries you think are way behind on this? In Europe or anywhere in the world? Anywhere in the world or both? I think yeah, countries that do not have mandates, of course, or staff obligations will not do that. It's more expensive and it's, yeah, that makes sense. So I think uh, in Europe, we don't know yet because uh, uh, let's say we need 50, 70% staff in 2050. It's a uh, binding at EU level. It's not per member states. And then you have the effort sharing regulation, I think that will distribute the different mandates. So I th- hopefully, I think, and it's proportional to GDP. So I guess the countries that have a higher GDP will have maybe higher mandates than others. So we'll see that. So, but normally, yeah, countries 
in the south might have lower mandates. So let's see. So countries in, Nord in the Nordics now have seen more projects, more things, but they have a lot of renewable power. If you look which countries have high renewable amount of renewable power, Sweden, Denmark, they have a lot of wind, they have hydropower, so it makes sense. So the UK, I don't know, because, yeah, I think the UK has, it took a while now to have the staff mandate, a lot of discussions. So I think, and the municipal city waste, I like the idea, but gasification is challenging. So I'm curious to see. It makes sense to use a waste. So, but here I think the technology might be the, the bottleneck, the gasification. Although you have projects, and I really hope it works. We need it to work. So I think, yeah, that might, uh, the deployment might be slower due to a technology here. But hopefully I'm wrong. It, it goes back there, doesn't it, to your point. It's really hard being a regulator. Because the other thing we're seeing is governments are doing quite a lot of funding of research and areas. Mm -hmm. I think the EU's just actually um, agreed to give some to, to you for your joint venture. Uh, no, we got yeah, we got some funding for different projects, for some oh. EU projects, uh, and we're also applying for yeah different types of funding. But the joint venture, to my knowledge, we have not received any funding yet. So sorry. But yes, there's a lot of no no. No worries. But there's a lot of funding indeed from EU, US, from governments. And it's, uh, if you look, yeah, innovation funding in EU, the Net Zero Industry Act, and so forth. So it's hundreds of billion of euros. It's, uh, and then how it's allocated. I have experts who are working on uh, yeah, green financing. So they are the experts on this. But it's in the US as well, it's massive the amount of, what is it, Inflation Reduction Act, $400 billion, something like that. Yeah, we're talking huge amounts of money. Do you um a few weeks ago we had a Akbar Al Baka from Qatar said that he didn't think the industry would get the airline industry would get to net zero by twenty fifty. What do you think? I think they might if they have to. <laughs> so let's see about that. <laughs> so I hope they will be also now in uh in London actually. It's the IMO discussion soon, MEPC eighty. Uh, international maritime organization and they are deciding what should be our 2050 targets i think now it's 50 some countries are pushing for 100 some countries 75 but i think although it's only two percent emissions both for marine and aviation or three percent it's still significant and it will increase so i've heard that the amount of plane will go from 25,000 now aircraft to 40,000 or more in 2050 we, and something still... something else that it's a, we call it the new kid on the block. It's the non-CO2 effect. So half the climate impact of aviation is non-CO2 effect. So contrails and, uh, and so forth. I'm not an expert on that at all, but uh, it's massive the impact, much more than what we may think. So I think uh, airlines might have to comply and hopefully they will do more, but uh, it means, yeah, who will pay again? And of course we have the hydrogen plane, that uh, some companies are working on. We have uh, electric planes and so forth, but it's long haul planes that need liquid fuels that are, I think emit most, more than 50%. I can't remember the exact numbers. So yes, so we need staff and we need some people to pay for it. So let's see how this is deployed. You have the corporate programs as well that uh, people are willing to pay. Uh, I mentioned Energy; they have such programs and other companies have that. And hopefully that will uh, take uh, yeah, more, uh, yeah more space what's the best part of your job best part yeah the complexity i think so and talking to people and learning the learning i think it's really to be part of this change and we're a tiny break of it like it's we're like a company of 2000 people like it but yet we're part of this 
it's not it's like similar to the industrial revolution to me it's really really a change of the last week again two weeks ago i was in athens in this conference with presenting from refinery it was all about climate change we're talking carbon intensity reduction i was like 10 years ago would have i heard that when you hear ceos talking about carbon intensity uh, production tax credits and what about the lc i was like it's happening so i think being part of this change and uh, for me personally is to understand uh, the complexity is really uh, yeah, fascinating and is the complexity for aviation we everyone in aviation talks about how it's one of the hardest industries to decarbonize is it more is it you know when you're at a shipping conference are the shipping mm -hmm. industry saying exactly the same thing i think aviation would decarbonize before and uh, airplanes are simple like it's two three companies doing uh, aircraft it's a lot of the same ships everywhere the infrastructure is in place it's pretty the fuel is the same more or less everywhere and the industry is very progressive and reactive and it's a new they have to adapt they are developing new engines to use what is it 15 20 percent it's very very progressive and changing so when i look at shipping i don't want to offend them and it's a new world for me but i think it's more conservative it's centuries of traditions and normally they don't depend so much on natural regulators it's a law of the sea so what i was like do not please do not look what we oh yeah you might have an opinion but it's to me, it will take longer to decarbonize. Although they have much more flexibility, they could use methanol. Now uh, engines are being built. Uh, ammonia, maybe from 25. Biofuels of low quality. Let's say you make, you have municipal solid, or I don't know, price residue, you make pyrolysis, mild upgrading of this. Yeah, our friends in uh, working for shipping company and they said for the fuel, if you can shovel it, we can use it. Engines can run on more or less, not everything, but specification are much more flexible. So I think they can run, they, now they're running with the bottom of the barrel, more or less all the residue produced by refineries. So it's very nasty fuel. So I think they have a chance. But again, the cost, who will pay? And EU is the first uh, yeah, continent to, with fuel EU maritime to, have, um, to impose the maritime world to decrease their emissions. So in US, I've seen a few bills, but it's not really happening. And the IMO, let's see what happens. But uh, yeah, so I think aviation is... Yeah, it's complex, but it's very unified and very, uh, I don't see, I think the, yeah, the stakeholders are much more aligned. I don't see, I hear mostly one voice. So it's quite a different segment to me. That's really interesting. And so you've been at Topso 17 years. And mm -hmm. let's assume you're staying for another 17 years. Mm -hmm. In 2040. God, how old will I be? I don't want to think about that. <laughs> you'll be... <laughs> <laughs> I'm, guess, I'm guessing anyway. you started when you were about five. No, so you'll no, be exactly. Uh, in in 2040, how will things look then? 2040. Hopefully good. Hopefully there'll be progress. Hopefully there will be a uh, regulation would have spread across the globe. Uh, we would be able to handle all kind of feedstocks. So there will be pipelines of CO2 refineries. Imagine you have your producers. So maybe you will have, uh, you'll be used to having CO2. You'll have maybe your own. Uh, wind farm, solar panels to produce some of your e-fuels. Uh, you will have improved the energy efficiency of all your refineries because there's been billions of euros or dollars invested in refineries. So, so much asset that can be used. It's, it's, refineries are quite fascinating industry. So, I think we need to use all these assets. We'll have new technologies uh, developed. Um, maybe they'll be allowed, they'll be used to having pyrolysis oil. Maybe they would get municipal solid waste. So, I think maybe a uh, 
we didn't talk about uh, CCUS or carbon capture and storage, but whatever fossil CO2 maybe will be captured. So yes, hopefully it will be a good news and there will be, yeah. So we will be there in 2040. That's really my hope and dream. And I really think that's where we're going now with regulation, with investment, with the moves and to produce, yeah, yeah, marine aviation fuels. And then as it would be less road fuels, we know because most of it will be, or a lot will be electrified, at least in some part of the world. So yeah, I'm, I'm optimistic. You'll be able to retire happy. Yes, hopefully. <laughs> and on that, Silva Verdier from Topso, thank you so much for joining us. Good, thank you. Thanks to you, Alistair. No, that's brilliant. Thank you very much. <laughs>